0: Hi there! Thanks for joining our podcast at Renew Church OC, a church for imperfect people only. I'm Pastor Wilson. We're continuing our how-to series in James with our news segment, How to Think Differently. It's easy to have our secular culture and media dictate how we think, but God wants us to think differently than our society, even if we end up with the same values or applications. 2020 has been a confusing year in so many major aspects of life, but I'm thankful that James was written as wisdom literature and designed to help us think differently. Finally, we have a few links that I'd love for you to check out on the description page. If you want to support our church, there's a PayPal link there, but mostly we'd love to connect with you. So fill out a Google form or join a live watch party when we're premiering our sermon on Facebook, Sundays at 10.30. Lastly, I'm seeing podcast listeners from all over the world, like Canada, Russia, Australia, and Ireland. Send me an email at wilson at renewchurchoc.com, and I'd love to talk with you and hear your story. Hope you enjoy the podcast.
1: Renewed Church, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4. We're going to look at the passage uh, about God's will. Um, Before we do that, though, a few weeks ago, I shared my testimony on when I came to know the Lord uh, as my Savior. Um, I want to continue that by sharing uh, my testimony in regard to my calling as a pastor. You know, um, when I came to know the Lord when I was born again, uh, I felt right then and there that God had called me into full-time ministry. Um, I knew that the gospel had changed me uh, so, um, so dramatically, uh, even at that point, that I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing that. And so I took it very seriously uh, after After high school, I went to Bible college, and um, after Bible college, I went back to my home church in Toledo, Ohio, and I started as an intern there. And I remember, I didn't know anything about practical ministry, but I just really wanted to spread the gospel. And I remember helping uh, form a team uh, that started a campus group on the University of Toledo, and to my surprise, it grew to 100 students in about a year and a half. And from that point on, uh, I remember we started a fellowship of Christian athletes, and it grew to 50 students in a year. And from that, we started a Malaysian uh, Bible study, a Singaporean Bible study, a Korean Bible study with international students. And I taught all those Bible studies, and I was just having such a wonderful time in ministry. And uh, that grew and that flourished, even in a short time. So I felt like everything I planned succeeded because of course it would, right? God had called me to ministry. You know, God's uh, word is powerful. I believe that. And so of course success would happen. And it was around that time of success that God called me to come out to Southern California. Now I thought to myself, surely all that success and uh, productivity would follow me out to Southern California because God had called me there. And of course, the gospel, you know, is the power of God to salvation, and God called me, right? I said that before. And so of course, you know, things were gonna work out for me. My first ministry, I remember uh, coming in uh, energetic and 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 excited, and the 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 pastors, the department pastors hated me. They couldn't stand me. And so they had, they, uh, in the course of doing ministry, they slandered me. They uh, spread rumors about me. It was a terrible uh, ordeal, and I would never faced anything like that in my life. And so uh, when God had called me to go somewhere else, I felt like, well, that was probably not a great place to be, but my next ministry is going to be great. And it was there that my senior pastor felt threatened by me. I was at an Asian church, and so uh, churches don't, just normally just kick people out and so he undermined everything I did and made it really difficult so that I would have to leave and I endured it for a while and uh, I figured well on to the next ministry and the next ministry uh, I really enjoyed it and I experienced um, just a lot of joy there for about two years and then the church split and the senior pastor and the people, uh, they had problems with each other, and there was just all kinds of drama and ugliness. And so, um, because of the church split, I went on to my next ministry. And it was there that the lead pastor that had called me there, or had, had hired me, felt threatened by me. And it was a large mega church. And so, again, They don't just fire people. So uh, he used political manipulation and all kinds of underhanded things. And so at that point, uh, it was very difficult to stay there as well. And so my next ministry, I went, and again, it went great for the first year and a half. And then that church split, and it was uglier than the first church split. And so all that to say, uh, the last ministry I was in, uh, not our church, of course, but the last ministry I was in, uh, one of my best friends, a pastor, invited me to uh, be a part of his uh, ministry and um, to take our group and assimilate with him. And uh, to make a long story short, he betrayed me, betrayed the church uh, group that I, that I had brought in. And he took all our resources. And so huh, when I look back, and not I'm broad brushing it, so I'm not saying... Uh, Everything was terrible because there were some ministries that I really, really enjoyed. But for the most part, this is what uh, my time in California looked like. It was a wilderness. And I remember uh, weeping many times at my office. I remember asking Jesus, why did you call me out to California? If I would have known that coming out to California at a time when I'd experienced great success early on, if I had come out to California and you would have told me I would go through all these things, I don't think I would have signed on for it. Now, please, uh, just know this that, you know, I met my wife in California. It's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And so of course I'm not talking about that, you know. Honey, I love you and you know, I'm really excited of course that we're married and you know, that is a blessing. But everything else, I felt like, wow, I don't know if I would have signed on for this. You see, my plan would have been to minister in a healthy church and to remain there for my entire ministry life. I would love to have helped it to grow and mature and make disciples. I wanted to be the Kobe Bryant of pastors. I wanted to be that pastor that achieved success and longevity in one place. My plan would have never been to move around like some journeyman dealing with all the mess that I have. But you know, and here's my point. There's been one truth that God has used to really work in my life. One truth that He's He's used to form me and make me into who I am today. And as I've meditated and I have, as I've applied this uh, truth, this Bible verse to my life, it's really become my life verse. And it's found in Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. And many of you know this. Uh, passage says trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways submit to him and he will direct your paths and I believe every ministry that God allowed me to be a part of he always asked me this question are you going to trust and submit to my will for your life this morning we want to talk about the area of God's will and as a pastor, the number one truth that people want to talk to me about is the will of God. They want to, count, they want to get counsel or prayer or talk about what is God's will for my life? Who does God want me to marry? Uh, is this the right person that he wants me to marry? Where does God want me to work? Right? There's this new job coming up or this new career path that seems interesting. Is that what God wants me to do? Will the Lord open up this door that I've been dreaming about and praying for my whole life? Is this specific opportunity an open door from God for me? And you know, I'm honored to walk with people through these honest questions that they've had because we all want to know as Christians, what is God's will for us? And as a pastor, the number one truth that I've come to understand about God's will, get this, God's will is not a location. It's not about moving to a particular area or place. It's not about um, really a destination. It's not a vocation. It's not about becoming an engineer or a doctor or an actor or an artist. It's not about your uh, career goals or your business success. It's not really about an occupation. It's not about an expectation either. It's not some American dream that you had your heart set on or some master plan that you've worked on your whole life. God's will is really not about your expectation. God's will is not a location. It's not a vocation. It's not an expectation. There's one thing you need to concern yourself with when it comes to the will of God. And here's the truth I want to give you. God's will is a relationship. It's living a deep, consistent relationship with him. Because if you're walking in close relationship with God, you'll be in the right location, right? God will direct you where he wants you to go. If you're walking in close relationship with God, you'll be in the right vocation. You'll be wherever he wants for you at that particular time. If you're walking in a close relationship with God, you'll fulfill his expectations. Not necessarily your dreams or desires, but his plans, which inevitably is the right thing and it's of eternal significance for you. You see, God's desire is a relationship with you. Remember my life first, Proverbs 3, where you trust in him with all your heart, where you submit to him in all your ways, where you lean on him to direct your paths. You see, God's will is a constant, consistent, close relationship with him. And in James chapter four, verses 13 through 17, James is giving us a sober warning and that's all this passage is. It's a sober warning not to forget God's will as a Christian. You see James is reminding us to remember how important God's will is in our lives. So let's look at the passage in its entirety beginning in verse 13. Now listen you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, trade and make a profit why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow what is your life you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes instead you ought to say if it is the lord's will we will live and do this or that as it is you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it it is sin for them this is god's word and we want to study in detail James's sober warning to us. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first point. What is the problem? What is the problem? Well, let's look in verse 13. It says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, trade, and make a profit. Here, James uses the illustration of a merchant. Remember, he's addressing Jewish Christians who are scattered all over the known world. And so James uses an illustration that here the Jewish Christians would have uh, recognized. Because the merchant is a picture that the Jews would relate to. Many Jews in the ancient world were merchants. Just like today, many Filipinos right, are nurses and doctors. There's something about you know, a certain nationality gravitating toward a certain profession. And so the Jews were into, uh, into business, and they were so successful in trading and uh, business that the ancient world warmly welcomed Jews into their cities because of the profit and wealth that they generated. As a matter of fact, citizenship would freely be offered to the Jews because of the money and trade that followed them. You see, business success was a badge of honor to the Jewish people. So the Jews were experts at planning for business. They were meticulous about their plan of operation. And I want you to notice James illustrates this organized system, this plan of operation. He says they planned a start date today or tomorrow. They planned a location or demographic, this or that city. They planned a timeline, we'll spend a year there. They planned a strategy, we're going to carry on business, we're going to do trade. They planned an outcome, and we are going to make a profit. Now the Jews were experts about this plan of operation, and James illustrates that. Now why would James use this illustration as a warning? I mean, is it wrong to plan? Is it sinful to schedule? Is it wrong to organize and outline and work out a goal so that you can be productive and you can be successful? Well, here we see, of course not. This is not what James is referring to. James is referring not to careful planning. He's referring to something deeper. He's referring to an attitude. You see, the issue is not what is said. The issue is what is not said. The problem is what has been left out. James is not condemning careful planning. We as Christians should be careful in everything that we do in our planning. The problem is that there's no mention of God in this elaborate plan that was being made. In all of their detailed scheduling, God is noticeably absent from it. And so James is asking his audience, in the process of planning my life, Am I living out the will of God, or is this just my own agenda? And I want you to notice what God thinks of careful, elaborate plans made without him. Let's look in verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. Now, this is an interesting phrase, boast in your arrogant schemes. It actually has the idea of a snake oil salesman. Now, some of you, you might not know what I'm talking about. Back in the old days... You had a person that would come into town, and they would gather a crowd, a mob, and they would hold up an elixir, and they would say, this elixir will heal whatever is your problem. So he would look at a bald man in the audience, and say, he would say, you want hair? This elixir, if you drink it, will give you hair. He'll look at another person and say, your mom has indigestion? You drink this, and she won't have indigestion anymore. What, your dad has cancer? Drink this, and the cancer will go away. I mean, this was a cure-all for everything. And so, this elixir promised healing. And it claimed to heal exactly the thing that you have. Now, this has been going on from the very beginning of the fall of man. It really has. And, you know, just to give you uh, just a a common reference or a a contemporary reference, I remember in my 30s, I remember a... uh, a item that boasted that if you wore it, right, uh, your back would be okay. And in my 30s, uh, I had knee problems and back problems. And so, uh, there's a magnetic bracelet that you were supposed to wear. And all my friends had it. And they all swore, swore by it. And so, I bought it and I wore it too. And so, you know, I had uh, bought into... You know, that idea that this thing was going to be able to be the cure-all for my back and my knees. And then about a couple years later, you find out that uh, this business uh, went bankrupt and uh, was, uh, the government was going after them because of fraud, right? So you understand this idea of uh, boasting all of these things, but not delivering on any of it. And that's what James is saying. Here you boast everything... But you can't deliver anything in your arrogant schemes. All it does is it leaves you deceived and the Bible says that is ultimately evil The person who plans his life without God The person who schedules his life without committing to the will of God is a fool Who cannot deliver on the realities and complexities of life and in the end? He's ultimately deceived Jesus illustrates this in his parable in Luke chapter 12. I love this passage of scripture. Luke chapter 12, let me read it and listen. And he told them this parable, the ground of a rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And so he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he says, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Why did God call this man a fool? Because his plans didn't include God. His attitude was to proceed with his boastful plans of building bigger barns, of eating and drinking and partying and relaxing many, many years with all of the surplus that he had. And in the end, this rich man couldn't deliver on his arrogant schemes. He couldn't deliver on what he boasted that he was going to do. And that's exactly what James is saying in this passage. When you look at the rich man's heart, there's no desire for God's will. And because of that, he was a fool. And that is why Jesus wraps up this parable in verse 21. He says, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but does not have a rich relationship with God. You see, God's will is a rich relationship with him. We've been talking about it from the beginning, haven't we, right? And God's will is a constant, consistent, close relationship with him. Now we looked at what is the problem. Let's look number two, why is it a problem? Why is living apart from God a problem? Well, let's look in verse 14. It says, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Why is it a problem? Because of the uncertainty of life. Because of the uncertainty of life. Write that down. The truth is you don't know what the future holds. Life is fragile. You could contract COVID-19 and die. You could be diagnosed with cancer today and die. You could be going somewhere in a car and get into an accident and die. And we, in all our planning, cannot control what will happen to us. The parable of the rich fool, you see his surprise that he dies that very day and all his wealth, all his possessions, the plans that he had were all gone in an instant. And we don't recognize that how vulnerable, how vulnerable we are. That is why it's so important to trust God with each day of our lives here on this earth. Because we need his guidance. We need his wisdom. We so need his strength and provision in our lives. Life is too uncertain to plan without God's will at the very center. Why is it a problem? Because of the uncertainty of life. Why is it a problem? Let me give you another one. It's because of the brevity of life. Verse 14, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James likens our life to a mist. I like to think of, and I'm sure there's other examples of mist, but lately people smoke those e-cigarettes, and so I see them everywhere, right? And when people smoke it, you see this huge puff of smoke. I mean, right when they uh, uh, exhale, all this smoke. So it's a lot of smoke, but then it's gone in an instant. And that's really what our lives are like, right? A lot of energy, and then it's gone in an instant. And you know, one thing that I've realized about, about myself is the older I get, the more I realize how instant and how brief our life was, or is, excuse me. When I was young, life seemed to move so slowly. I wanted in junior high to be in high school, then in college, and then live my life, you know, find the girl of my dreams. And life seemed to move so painfully slow. But now as I'm older, I wonder where life where life uh, went, right? As I look at my life, every birthday that comes up, you know, it's not as easy to celebrate it. As a matter of fact, I start think thinking, you know, you know about the memories I've had. It just seemed like yesterday, but it was like, what, 20? I mean, my wife and I, we've been uh, married 25 years, and that was just recently that we celebrated our silver anniversary. I remember all of these memories, but I can't believe they were 15 years ago and 10 years ago. See, life happens so quickly. Psalms chapter 90 says it this way. Our days may come to 70 years, years or 80 if our strength endures yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away verse 12 so teach us to number our days so that we may grow in wisdom i love what the psalmist is saying he's saying that a wise person realizes the brevity of his life right 70 years 80 years 90 years if we're lucky 100 years but it's all a mist That's here in an instant and vanishes away. You know, life on this earth is not our ultimate home. I've shared this before in other sermons. That this life is a vehicle to get us to eternity. To get us to our ultimate home. This life is a pit stop on the way to eternity. And so what is this life? Well, life on this earth is a brief time to do God's will. It may be troubled. There may be sorrow, there may be issues, but really it's just a brief pit stop to do the will of God. And so here the psalmist says we must learn to number our days. What does that mean? It means to make our lives count. If this is a brief time to do God's will, then we need to make it count for Jesus, for the gospel, for eternity. You see, God has a plan for you in this brief time that you have on this earth called life. But when you live apart from God's will, you know what you're you're gonna end up doing? You're gonna end up wasting it. And that's a shame, that's evil, is what James says. Now, the third point we wanna look at is what is the solution? What is the solution to this problem? James gives it to us in verse 15, let's look at it. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. This is such a beautiful truth. Let me explain what this means. And let me first explain it by telling you what it doesn't mean, okay? Uh, It is not a cliche that you say. Verse 15, it's not a cliche that you say. James is not saying, you're so fragile, you could die tomorrow. So whenever you make plans, Be sure to sprinkle in if it is the Lord's will. Make sure to say the magic words if it is the Lord's will so that you don't make God angry and that he won't zap you, right? And maybe the posture that you can think of is somebody who's in terror thinking, oh, God could zap me at any time if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills is kind of a magic incantation. It's not a cliche that you say. You know what else is not? It's not a rule that you obey. Meaning that We think God is sovereign, he's higher and greater and bigger than us, he's that big boss that we have to be afraid of, so you better say uncle whenever you see him, you better acknowledge if it is the Lord's will so that you can get something out of your life, and here the posture is one of resignation, if the Lord wills, or one of resentment, if the Lord wills. Man, I'd like to be doing this or that, I'd like to uh, uh, plan my success, so I'd better say those words, Lord willing, so he'll let me do some of it. It's not a cliche that you say, it's not a rule that you obey, you know what it is? It's an attitude that you display. This verse, and I love it, is a heart attitude that says, I can trust that the sovereign God of the universe loves me in every way because he's my father. So whatever I do in my life, whatever he allows in my life, if it is the Lord's will, I'm good with that. I'm at peace with whatever the Lord wills. And so it's not a posture of fear. It's not a posture of resentment or resignation. It's a posture of love saying, you know what? My father loves me and whatever he wills is good for me. How do I apply that to my life? Well, Let's say, you know, uh, that COVID restrictions are are, are are brought lower and I get to go to a vacation to San Diego. Well, if the Lord's wills, I'm going to really have a great time in San Diego. But if the Lord wills and I have car trouble and I have to detour in Oceanside, I'll be okay with that too. And if the Lord wills and I talk with a new person uh, that I've never met before in Oceanside and I get to talk spiritual things with that person and I share the gospel with him and I tell them about Jesus, then if the, if that's the Lord's will, I'm good with that too. And if I'm driving to San Diego and suddenly something happens and I'm ushered into eternity and I meet I meet my father face to face and he says, good, well done, good and faithful servant. And he gives me a hug. You know what? I'm okay with that too. You see, the idea of this verse is an attitude of trust based on a relationship of love. Don't you love that? I wrote that myself. It's an attitude of trust based on a relationship of love. And you can display that in your life. And when you do, people are going to take notice. You know, Johann uh, Peter Lange, the great German poet theologian, said about this verse, verse 15. This frame of mind will make us submissive and satisfied with the frustration of our most cherished plans and desires. Oh, that's powerful, isn't it? Let me say that again. Verse 15. This frame of mind will make us submissive and satisfied with the frustration of our most cherished plans and desires. And you know what? I agree with Langa. Whatever has happened in my life thus far, all the things that I've had to deal with in California has made me submissive and satisfied as long as I focus on the will of God and not my own agenda. When I focus on my own agenda, I get angry. I get resentful. I get discouraged. I ask God, why, why, why? I get that way. But when I focus on the will of God, I'm trusting in the Lord with all my heart. I'm not leaning on my own um, understanding. In all my ways, I'm submitting to him and I know that he's directing my path. I don't know why, and I don't know what exactly, but I know that my father has it under control, and I'm good with that. You see, James closes with this, verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, James ends this warning by saying, if you know this, everything that we just talked about, then live it out. If you don't live it out, right, then you're living in sin. And so if we could just flash the last uh, slide up, Uh, this is going to be the slide that you guys are going to be uh, talking about in your groups, but I just want you to take a look at it because the question is really, I think, the essence of what James is concluding. What is the Holy Spirit And you can choose one of the four because God speaks to us in sermons very differently wherever we are. Is he reminding you, encouraging you, rebuking you, or teaching you? What is the Holy Spirit doing about God's will in your life? And I want you to meditate on that. And then in the end, talk about it in your groups. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that even in a warning, we see your love ooze out of it. Lord, we know that you care about us and you care about the kind of life that we live in this brief, brief interim here on this earth. And we ask that your will be done and that we'd be able to live a life that's not wasted, but a life that brings you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.